Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again today. Thank you for tuning in. This is our privilege at this time to open the Bible, the Word of God, and to learn together, to apply in our life, and to experience a change of heart and um, all the things which we desire for uh, this life on earth. Because many things in our life are not going as we plan and as we want, but we have the wonderful promise in the scriptures to have rest in Christ, particularly in these times of trouble. We looked over a few weeks on the aspect of rest and unrest, and we learned a lot of things how to benefit of what God offers for us. But uh, today we are going to talk a little bit more about the ultimate rest, which is in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to introduce the panel right now and welcome Joe. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's, um, it's great to join our panel again today for another great discussion. Brenton, good to have you joining. Very happy to be here, Nick. And uh, this subject, I think, is going to be a really good one for us to share with everybody. Len, also very happy to have you with us. Thank you for your welcome and hello, listeners. Lija, thank you for joining. I feel very grateful to be part of the discussion. Ken, also thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. Always wonderful to be here and uh, really looking forward to another interesting study today. Well, I left you for last because uh, today you are in a special position of uh, leading us facilitating this great discussion about the ultimate rest. Over to you, Will. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. We've gained valuable insights in our discussions over the past three months in our Bible study series on the subject of finding true rest, as you have said, Nick. The quest should certainly continue in our day-to-day Christian lives. However, let us turn our attention today to the ultimate rest given us by God. But first, I think we should pray. Lydia, would you pray for us? Yes, certainly. Glorious Father in heaven, we coming in your holy presence, humbly before you in reverence and humility, to honor and glorify your holy name as our creator, redeemer, sustainer of everything. We acknowledge you as our sovereign leader, the Lord of the Lord and the King of kings of the entire universe, and also our dearest Father. Thank you so much for being adopted in your heavenly kingdom as your sons and daughters. We kindly ask you for your holy blessing upon us individually and as a panel of discussion of your holy word. Father, please bless us with your Holy Spirit and teach us today as we are sitting at your feet willing to learn from you about the ultimate rest that you promised to us. Please, Father, extend your holy blessings to all our listeners today and help them, Father, to feel the need of Jesus, our Redeemer and our Savior. We thank you so much. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank you, Lydia. Panel and listeners, have you ever, like me, felt that something sinister and unseen is going on behind the scenes, 
a kind of suspicion that we're in the midst of a great battle, kind of struggle between good and evil. Not surprisingly, I think even secular people have sensed this reality. We can all justifiably feel this way because if the prophetic curtain is drawn aside, it would reveal a titanic battle between good and evil, forces of light against forces of darkness. And this great controversy between Christ and Satan is taking place on a global scale, in fact, even on a cosmic level, for it is in heaven itself where this disruption first began. Joe, would you read for us Revelation 12, verses 7 to 9? And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. This has immersed us all in a challenging dilemma, both for us individually and for the world in general. Take a look around. Intrigue and confusion abounds. But, you know, we just instinctively realize that this deterioration is not part of God's foundational plans for us on this planet. There's just got to be something better. You know, as much as it is possible for us, we need to see things in a proper perspective. And it's only by looking deeper that we see the big picture. One realization is important, though. God is not blind or unfeeling to the affairs of this world. All those effects of evil on this planet, that is wars, political unrest, natural disasters, of course, could easily tend to plunge us into helpless despair, even a terror, if it were not for the light of the gospel and the assurance of God's prophetic word. I need hardly tell you that this great controversy is being played out on a very personal level too. It's not coincidence that all of us, very personally, face faith challenges in our everyday lives. So today, let's look at how we can find rest in Jesus, even in the face of global unrest and our own personal unknown future. Of course, this is the short term. But in the long term, however, things look very promising indeed. God has not left mankind forsaken. God has plans. Ken, tell us about it. Well, we read in 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 2 and verse 9, it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for those who love him. Here we see in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, a special message to all followers of Christ, telling them that God has prepared a wonderful future, so amazing that as humans, we cannot begin to understand it. In the annals of human history, the growth of nations, the rise and fall of empires, appear as dependent on the will and proneness of man. The shaping of events seem to a greater degree to be determined by his power ambition, or caprice. But in the word of God, the curtain is drawn aside, and we behold behind, above, and through all the play and counterplay of human interest, 
and power and passions be agencies of the all-merciful one, silently, patiently working out the counsels of his own will. So as we can see, there is a greater power and play going on behind the scenes, Will. In answer to the question as to where it's all headed, I think we have a window into the future through a disciple of Jesus, the author of the book of Revelation. And what grand vista is open to our eyes by uh, the Apostle John. Brenton, you want to comment on that? Yes, indeed. Um, Will, John wrote the book of Revelation round about AD 95 or 96, we believe, as he states in the book. He was on the Isle of Patmos as a political prisoner. Now, what's interesting is the term revelation means unfolding or revealing. And the book of Revelation Interestingly enough, Will, in light of what our discussion is today, you don't actually find, I did a study before we started uh, our discussion time today, I cannot find the word rest mentioned in the book of Revelation. However, I will share one thing. Um, Revelation reveals what's going on in the world at the moment, but it also reveals how Christ is working for us in heaven. When he came down to this earth, he said in John 14, chapter 8, or John 14, rather, verse 8, he said, um, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When Christ came to this earth, he revealed the Father. But what Revelation reveals is what's going on in heaven, how heaven is dealing with the issue of sin and how sin will be brought to a successful conclusion. But, Will, the most important thing just in summarising the whole book of Revelation is it's not about the mark of the beast. If so many people get hung up on the mark of the beast and other aspects of Revelation and miss the big picture, verse 1 tells us it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. There are four people involved in the revelation. God the Father gives it to Christ. Christ gives it to his angel. The angel gives it to John. John reveals all of this in the following 21 chapters, but I want to just touch on chapter 21, verse 3, in regard to the aspect of rest that we're going to be talking about, where it says this, and I'd like to read it, Will, if you don't mind, just briefly. It says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. The ultimate rest that we're going to be talking about today, I believe, is the rest of seeing Christ face to face, just as Adam and Eve did before they sinned. And I think uh, the book of Revelation doesn't hint at it. It's stronger than that. Six times in the book of Revelation it says, Behold, I am coming quickly. But I think the book of Revelation is helping us to lift our eyes from our present difficulties to the glorious future that God has for us where where he will be our God and we will be his people. And I think that's a truly, truly wonderful and comforting and restful thing that we can take into our study today. Len? Yes. Now, Brenton said, I think the rest we're going to have is the rest in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't disagree with that at all. (laughs) But I see a little bit differently as well. We're going to have a rest from sin and temptation and the effects of sin. All this is very 
difficult in people's lives and we're all affected by it every day. When you go outside, do you lock the door of the house? Well, we won't need to bother with that anymore. And the text that Ken read from 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. The thing that impresses me mostly is that I'll be able to see my Saviour face to face. But we will no longer be affected by sin and the effects of sin. And I believe God has prepared things that will give us joy and pleasure and peace for eternity, not just a day or two. Thank you. Yes, Nick. Uh, Everyone, we are uh, talking also on another um, program on uh, making sense of conspiracy theories. And by the way, listeners, if you like to listen to some of these programs, you always can go on our website, faithfm.com.au, or uh, you can... uh, access the app and visit our programs. And I'm going to talk about um, that Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. And probably that's the difference. The reality is that we live in these times of, you know, very difficult uh, things happening, you know, and unrest and fear and all those things. But the promise is to have rest in Jesus, our Lord. The reality is that uh, the mark of the beast is mentioned in, uh, in the Bible and for a very good reason, because we can be very easily sidetracked by things happening around and not knowing the plan which God has with us. And uh, we... We are not denying that the Bible is very strong into identifying the mark of the beast. And that's why we are doing these Bible studies to learn more, to be equipped, not to be confused and trapped in all sorts of uh, theories. Because the Bible is very clear in regard what we need to know for our salvation, for our protection, and particularly for our safety, rest in Jesus Christ. Benton? Yeah, just quickly, Will, the rest, I see it in a, in a different perspective yet again. A lot of the unrest we have in our world today is because people have a lot of questions, not just due to COVID-19, but life in general, a lot of questions that are not answered. Now, when we're with our saviour and our creator, we can ask any question we like and get the answer. Now, surely that gives you a sense of security and rest. Absolutely so. We find the... The uh, Apostle John on Patmos, uh, he had seen Jesus leave. He had uh, seen two angels standing there with the assurance, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up uh, from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. This was a, this, a certain promise uh, and a promise that buoyed his hopes. But now uh, there was a delay. And even people of faith today might ask, where to from here? You know, Jesus' followers had been assured of power for the proclamation of the gospel. In fulfillment of the promise, the Holy Spirit had descended in to enable them to bring the gospel to the world. Thousands were reached. 
And yet the return of Jesus had not come. Uh, as soon as most, even after so many people had believed. Uh, Panel, why do you think there was a delay? I'm glad there was a delay. Otherwise, there would be no Len. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) And I think God is holding off for probably two reasons. Number one, to give more and more people the opportunity to accept the grace of God and to uh, be his people. But I also think there's another side to the story, and that's this. You know, I think what has happened on planet Earth with the introduction of sin and the complete spoiling of God's creation and his plan for human beings, that this may well be observed by all the other beings in the universe. And I think it has to reach a point where sin and the problems of sin are so bad that there is nobody or no being in the universe who is not convinced of God's love and of the evil of Satan. I suppose it's like a ripening of time and... uh, that time is certainly getting shorter and shorter because every day, every minute, every second, the coming of Jesus is closer. However long that's going to be, we don't know, but it's coming. Anton? I believe there's another reason too, Will. I, I really liked what Len said about the uh, ripeness of time or the fullness of time. I believe there is another reason that we often overlook when we say, why has Christ delayed his coming so long? Um, Yes, it is so that as many as possible can be saved, but I believe it's also necessary, as Len has touched on, not only for this world, but also for the, the heavenly beings, the angels and the unfallen worlds, to see the plan of salvation played out. In other words, if Christ had come within a year of going back to heaven, I believe a lot of the the value of his sacrifice on Calvary would have been unappreciated, would have been unappreciated by this world, and it would have been unappreciated by those in heaven. But because nearly 2,000 years or thereabouts has elapsed since Christ went back to heaven, everyone has had an opportunity to see God's love revealed in the plan of salvation, to see Christ's high priestly ministry and how it works. Had Christ come back straight away, I believe a lot of those things would have been missed. Yes. Very quickly on that one, because I uh, have a lot of people also asking me these questions, uh, then God must uh, have pleasure in seeing all the suffering and all the things which happens in this world, which is not true. Of course, uh, God is not uh, uh, enjoying uh, all the suffering which he sees around. But on what Brenton said, and I just want to add uh, something else there, is the fact that in his long suffering, God is waiting for us all to give ourselves to him. I believe firmly that uh, God probably could have, Jesus could have come uh, by now if uh, his people, children, would have been prepared. But as Len says a bit earlier, the delay is because God is loving so much each one of us in this world that 
is giving us every possible chance to come back to to him and to be right with god i think that's the one of the um motives to say so true. the delay yeah that's true man. yes that's what second peter 3 actually says he wants to give more people a chance to be saved well john the apostle who wrote the book of revelation the revelation of jesus christ was there present as jesus ascended up into heaven and that the angels came and gave the reassurance that he was going to come back in like manner and i imagine although the apostles standing there were feeling very sad at the same time they were feeling very glad knowing that jesus was going to come back well quite a few years had passed and john was probably waiting for that event to occur the other apostles had all died all of them murdered he was the only one left and he was probably thinking well am i the only one why me he had seen changes happening in fact he even wrote about those changes in his letters in first second and third john the young church which the apostles had worked very hard uh, under the influence of the holy spirit to bring into being changes were happening and there were false doctrines creeping in and john although he recognized how god had used him and actually saved him a tradition says that the romans tried to get rid of john by boiling him in a cauldron of oil but he survived that unmarked just like the three worthies in the fiery furnace of nebuchadnezzar were unmarked So the next best thing they did was put him on the Isle of Patmos as a political prisoner as Brenton already pointed out. And then while he was there God gave him this vision of what was happening. I'm going to read some of this. Starts out Revelation chapter 1. We'll start at verse 9. He says, "I John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that's called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ in other words he's saying because i stood up for god here i am a religious prisoner and he says i was in the spirit on the lord's day and behind me i heard a loud voice as a trumpet saying i am the alpha and the omega the first and the last well who would that be who's the alpha and omega the first and the last well, it was jesus he says what you see write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in asia to ephesus to smyrna to pergamos to thyatira to sardis to philadelphia and to laodicea and then in the vision he says i turned to see the voice that spoke with me and having turned i saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the seven lampstands one like the son of man clothed with a garment to his feet etc etc i'm going to skip a bit here and when i saw him i fell at his feet as dead but he laid his right hand on me saying to me do not be afraid i am the first and the last i am he who lives and was dead 
and behold, I am alive for evermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. And then he gave the commission to write all these things down, and hence we have the book of Revelation. Now, my wife and I have family overseas. Our second son lives and works in America, and here's the family, the wife and three children. And when they were here last, it was a sad parting at the Adelaide airport. But, you know, we we converse, we see each other by Zoom or by um, some other electronic media, and it's really wonderful. It's reassuring. We know that our family is alive and well. And here John, who's probably feeling lonely and a bit desperate, when he had this vision, man, that must have perked him up and he was felt reassured and yes. loved and not forgotten. Yes, we can certainly associate ourselves with those words, uh, Len. We've all known what parting is really like. You know, Jesus said to his followers, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These words, as we have learned, must have encouraged John as he faced his lonely exile. However, we would say this vision, this revelation of Jesus, must have expanded his understanding of the future of the work of Christ and given him great comfort, knowing that Jesus the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, was now revealing himself in a special way to the exiled apostle. Now that's John, but I have a question. What John sees in vision is certainly a boost to his faith in the future, but what does it mean to us, the reader today? Panel? I think uh, it applies also to us that gives us hope that God is in control and God is still revealing to us what was in the past, in the present, and is going to come in the future and reassure us that he is, he is in control and whatever plans are with us are plans, good plans for us. Yes. When I was 17, I never thought I'd ever see 21 because I thought Jesus would have come. Well, 21 is come and gone. I'm now 21 and a few months old, and 21 is gone. And I'm waiting for Jesus to come. Because of his promises, and his promises are certain, I believe my waiting is not in vain. And I feel this was John too. He trusted Jesus. He trusted his what he said. And so he was waiting, expecting it perhaps to be a lot earlier than it was, but it was because God's word is true. That's why I'm waiting, and I trust that you are too. What follows from these verses um, that Len so kindly read to us are visions about the future. It's an awesome panoramic view of history that was portrayed, as many have said, to bolster his faith. But basically what to us is history of the Christian church, in retrospect, was to him its future. And yet amid all his trials and tribulations that would come, John was shown how it will all end. And we can gain a lot of confidence. And there's a a verse in Revelation 21, right at the other end of Revelation, from where Len was reading in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 that say, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is just only one or two verses, but there are many of of a similar nature that describe the new earth and the way um, life, how it will be when Jesus has returned. Now, the book of Revelation itself is often misunderstood, yet is very on trend, if you like, very relevant to the times we're living. Many, Many are fearing the future. But God has reassured that even though we may go through a hard time here and now, there is hope and we can be sure that it will end well for those who hope and trust in God. There's a text in Second Peter 2 that reminds, it says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know, we can rest in God's promises. I was just thinking what Len said a few moments ago about he thought many years ago Jesus was going to come. And I've been in the same situation. I'm sure many of us have. But, of course, at that time, I didn't have the the greater depth of knowledge of the Bible that I have today. And I think it's just wonderful that the Bible really paints us a picture, a very clear picture, I believe, of where we are in world events. And I sincerely believe this time that Jesus is definitely at the gates to come back to this earth, uh, according to all the signs that is told to us in Matthew 24. Yeah, you're right. Nick? I just want quickly to mention that verse which Len was looking, I mean, the passage in Revelation chapter 1. But verse 19, which Len hasn't quite finished it, because I believe it's very important. We alluded to this verse in different ways, but it says, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Why it's important, this passage? Because right from the beginning of this book in Revelation, we understand that John was invited by God to have this correct view of interpretation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that there are those views of preteristic view, like everything happened in the past, it's all finished, or futuristic view, which things are going to just happen. But the most important view is the historicist view, which looks from behind in the present time and in the future. It's very significant, this passage in the Bible, to clarify the confusion when somebody likes to apply things from the Scripture, particularly in only one direction, one aspect. But John was given this insight to understand God's plan for us all. I think it's very important to allow the Bible to teach us the correct interpretation I'm very grateful, uh, Nick, you commenting on it, that the prophetic future or the whole vista of prophecy is opened to readers of God's word. It gives us a lot of comfort to know what is going to be happening in the future. Uh, Lydia, uh, 2 Peter 1 verse 19 has gives us a more insight into our security for the future. Would you like to read that for us? Yes. 
And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And I would like to read a little bit further. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture come about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we are guided, invited to go into the word of God, that God chose the prophets to express his will and his mission to us today. And because his holy word is a guidance to us, um, it's a message from God that will give us insight into the future that God prepared for us. With regard to prophecy, some people put their confidence in somebody like Nostradamus. Now, Nostradamus's strike rate is about four in a hundred at best. Four prophecies in a hundred come true. To me, he's not a reliable prophet. You can't rely on him. There's a, uh, a very high chance that he's going to be wrong, like a 96% chance that he's wrong. But with the Bible... The prophecy strike rate is a 100 out of a 100. And we've read some texts here about the coming of Jesus, about the holy city, the new Jerusalem, etc., etc. And we can rely on that because the Bible is a trustworthy and authentic book. And I want to emphasize this. Some of you listening today might not be sure about the veracity of the Bible. Let us assure you, the Bible is a trustworthy book. Yes. And although you may not understand everything, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that you haven't understood it. And that's why we're here trying to help you understand this holy book, because God does not lie. And he is the author of this book, and therefore we can trust it. And I would like to add to that that the knowledge that we have from God's word is the key and the successful growth of ourselves in Jesus Christ. Absolutely right, yes. You know, the Bible, as you've said, Len, is a tremendous comfort for those that read it. You know, it, the Bible with its prophetic big picture of history and the future must have, must have a strong impact on our Christian experience and faith in Christ. Unfortunately, we have a special vantage point in understanding what the Word of God predicts for those who place their hope in Him. In the context of what we've been addressing in this Bible study series on resting in Christ, we might now catch a glimpse of the answer to our question, when does the final and lasting rest in Christ become ours? Uh, would you want to comment on that first, Brenton? Well, when you first accept Christ as your saviour, I believe um, will you begin to enter that rest. But the final culmination of the rest to me, um, as you've said here, when does the final and lasting rest in Christ become ours? I believe it really will not occur 
in its totality until we see him face to face. You remember in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul makes a comment, and now I see through a glass darkly, but then I will be known even as I am known. Paul was recognising the fact that the realities of what we understand about God are incomplete and imperfect at the moment. But when we see him face to face, all our desires will be met, all our questions throughout eternity may be answered, and we will know, as he says, we will know even as we are known. God knows us intimately, and we will begin to, I believe, know him on an even deeper level than we do now. We could take the example of Enoch. Enoch walked with God. What happened to Enoch? He didn't die. He went because God took him. And I believe that that's the rest that God's asking us. He's asking us to trust him to such a degree that we'll walk right into heaven with him, just as Enoch walked with God. Now, that doesn't mean that we may not pass away beforehand, but we have the promises of 1 Thessalonians 4, that the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive will be caught up to meet them, uh, meet the Lord in the air. All of those things bring about this culmination of the final and lasting rest. We will be with our Saviour forever. And if that doesn't give us security, stability and peace in 2021, I'm not sure what would. Yes, Ledger? As I remain connected into the vine permanently, I am at peace until Jesus will come. And this peace will culminate in Jesus coming. But until then, I still live in peace. Yes, it reminds me of um, the fact that there's a whole host of people that had the hope in the future, but had to actually die, as uh, Brenton has said. In fact, it's hinted in Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16, where it says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, as we are all, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know, here we have the intrinsic obligation for Christians to be sharing the promise that we have of eternal rest with the rest of the world. Yes, in a time of tumult, unrest, and insecurity on so many levels. You know, folks, we've got good news. We share good news in Jesus Christ our Lord and the wonderful promises of Scripture. Surely this is news good enough to share with neighbor and friend and family. Panel, what do you think? Amen. Yeah, and I was just thinking, as Brenton mentioned and um, others, that um, we may have this kind of understanding of, about rest in, in the context of this troubled world and in our life, in our personal life, that uh, we may not understand that, you know, ultimate rest, which we are talking about. But just as we illustrate sometime with that trust which a child has in his father, that's actually what we are invited for. If yes. we trust in God, then we'll 
have rest in him, even if we don't understand everything what's going on uh, today in this world, but we trust our Lord Jesus Christ, and then we have ultimate rest in him, even before he comes to take us home. True. Brandon? There's a, a group that does a survey, uh, Will, you may have heard of them, and the panel may have heard of them, called Ipsos, I-P-S-O-S. Now, Ipsos, I was trying to do some research this morning before we um, came on air, and um, at the beginning of 2021, it listed five things that Australians were most concerned about. Now, one of the things they were most concerned about was the economy and jobs, and I imagine that's still high on the list of priorities. And the third one, believe it or not, was health, given the ravages of COVID-19 and the Delta strain in particular. But the the point is that if I was to take a survey or they were to take a survey at the end of September 2021, I wonder whether those priorities or worries would have uh, changed or whether they would still be the same. I would suggest there would probably be some others that are starting to come to the fore as well. What we've got and what we offer as a panel and what we offer to our listeners is this. We, we offer to them Jesus Christ, who the Bible says is the same yesterday, today and forever. The sands upon which you base your decisions, whether they be economic, physical, spiritual or whatever today, are constantly shifting. But in Jesus Christ, you have total stability. Why do we keep harping on about this on our our panel? We're not harping on about it. We're offering people the opportunity to come to somebody who is the same yesterday, today and forever, and who is willing to take their burden. Remember, in an earlier study, we quoted, come unto me, all you that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That promise still holds, and that's the promise we need to share with our listeners. Yes, Joe. I think there's a, a there's a little quote from the story of redemption, and it says, The life of Christ was filled with words and acts of benevolence, sympathy and love. He was ever attentive to listen to and relieve the woes of those who came to him. Multitudes carried in their own persons the evidence of his divine power. Yet after the work had been accomplished, many were ashamed of the humble yet mighty preacher. They could not be governed by his sober, self-denying life. They wished to enjoy the honour which the world bestows. Yet many followed the Son of God and listened to his instructions, feasting upon the words which fell so graciously from his lips. His words were full of meaning, yet so plain that the weakest could understand them. You know, we cannot generate genuine compassion without the Holy Spirit. And if we are in tune with him, we will not fail to be like Christ, moved with compassion to lift, to support, comfort, reassure and restore all those who are bruised by life. Yes. Will be, it will be natural and it will be there. I'd like to quote John thirteen thirty five. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very um, in-depth lot to ponder there. I think the benefits of uh, knowing Jesus are are great. Uh, you know, someone once said that the temporal benefits, that's the benefits on this earth, of serving Jesus Christ are sufficient, even if there was no promise of life in eternity. This might be true, 
But there's a double bonus, the guarantee of the Christian for the Christian that God will make an end of sin and restlessness and offer peace and rest. Yes, rest in Christ with life eternal in the kingdom that he has prepared for them. A double bonus, as it were, as something to really look forward to, something that we can talk about with our families and with our friends. Uh, panel, we've already spoken about the hope that we have for the future and sharing Jesus Christ with the world and uh, taking him seriously in our own lives. But do you want to comment any little more about uh, that, Ken? Yes, well, as we all know, or at least I think we do, Earth, when it was first made, was a paradise at the very beginning. Everything in it was perfect. There's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as sickness. But again, God has promised a great future to all those who would follow him. Now, all of us, doesn't matter generally what our age group we have, trials and tribulations, we have sicknesses and things that come upon us and challenges. Jesus has promised to be with us and help us through all things. He does not guarantee that he will save our lives in all cases, but he has guaranteed with us through all things till the very end of time. Why would you not give him a go? What have you got to lose? Yes. Mm, good point. I've thought about this question many times, and I've thought about how would my life be if I removed the God aspect of it. It means removing the hope that I have. It means removing the reassurance of forgiven sins. You know, I can't really understand how I could live without uh, the Lord in my life. And uh, if there's no eternal life, I don't see a great deal of purpose to living. Yes, we might um, magnify and demonstrate the Christian values of goodness and compassion and love. But unless there's something that's eternal, it really it appears to me to be a bit of a waste of time. I don't wish to live my life without the Lord in it. And I hope that you listeners want to have the Lord in your life because it's there that you have reassurance, you have stability, you have hope, and you can know that you are loved by the king of the universe. Brenton? Well, as a minister of the gospel, it's interesting um, in working with people. My work is primarily working with people. And there seems to me at times to be an expectation that when a person, whether it's a church member, or whether it's just someone from the local community talks to a minister, there seems sometimes to be an expectation that the minister will have the right answer. He will have the solution to their problem. I recognise now that um, when people come to you, and often they come to you with insurmountable problems that you do not know the answer to, that sometimes you can't even give them perhaps the best advice, mm -hmm. you recognise your total reliance upon the Lord. So my personal testimony is I need a closer walk with Jesus myself 
in order to be able to encourage others to have that closer walk as well. Now, John 16.33, as you know, says, um, I'm telling these things that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. Actually, the correct Greek translation is in this world you will have stress. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I think we need to cling to that promise on a daily basis. In this cosmic conflict, um we are more than just observers. Uh, we have to trust in God's uh, wisdom and love for us that whatever he prepares for us is for our good. And we are to be active participants in spreading the gospel to the ends of the world, to stand firm and endure to the end in, in faith. In the following letter, James, the half-brother of Jesus gives us a very good example of patience. James chapter 5, 7, 8 says, Be patient then, brothers, until the coming, the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the soil, how patient he is for the fall and spring rains. You too be patient and strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Now, if you are a farmer, there is much time before you see the end of your work. The ground has to be prepared, then you have to sow the seed, pray the rains come at the right time, then wait for the seed to grow before you can harvest. You need much patience before you see a result. And so it is with Christians. Over the years, many have died or fallen asleep, as the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, not seeing the return of Jesus. However, Christians today who know their Bible can clearly see We are in the last days and the return of Jesus is near, even at the doors, as it says in Matthew 24, 33. I've thought about this question myself about, um, you know, what difference does Christianity make to my own life? And I guess it answers the existential questions of, you know, why are we here? Why am I here? And and how did I get here? Mm. And where am I going? And I think the Bible aptly um, answers all these questions, not to a superficial reader, but someone who studies the word of God will get the answers that they they need to find for themselves. And I think that um, it's, I guess it's a unique experience for everyone, but it does have all the answers that trouble most people um, and gives meaning and purpose to life. So that's just my experience. Also, um Will, I would like to mention that uh, for us, knowing Jesus, yeah, probably it's a different uh, perspective. But uh, I want to look back at my life before I met Jesus. You know, I was just interested in a, a glamorous life, you know, in a happy life on this earth, on which probably many people are concentrating. And um, I was involved for, a, you know, short period of time, you know, in uh, show business. And uh, uh, I thought that's life on earth, the best you can have, you know, all enjoying partying and all sorts of things like that. But the next morning, I was still back into the same square, not having any peace with myself, not having any assurance, you know, and I was incomplete until I gave my life to Jesus which makes sense in my life, which I have now the assurance of the things to come, even though we may go through difficult times. And that's what I believe is the 
trick to say so uh, in our walk with Jesus, if we choose to walk with Jesus or if we choose to just pursue our own desires, ambitions, whatever it is. And that's why I encourage everyone to allow God, to allow the one who's created us and he knows the best what we need in life to take charge, to take care of us and to offer us everything what we need because we are not here as Christians to be miserable, to be unhappy, to be um, just uh, struggling and saying, okay, it will come a promise later on. We are here to live life to the full. Mm. And you cannot live the life to the full without God. I can testify that myself, even though I thought at some point in time, that's life. I really encourage you. Thank you. To yes. give Jesus that chance yeah. to show you how can you live the best, even in these days. Good counsel, Nick. Uh, Ken? Yeah, I just wanted to add to that, that as we look around the world today, we can see no matter what country you look at, it's in a mess. And there are people all over the world who are so depressed to the stage that many are taking their lives. It's so, so sad. If they were to turn to Jesus and give him a go, it's like we mentioned at the very start of the study, a curtain is pulled back and you can see a bigger and greater picture that Jesus wants to help you every way he can. Now, what I find interesting is that forgetting about God for a moment, if you look at scientists all over the world, they have a thing that's been going since, I believe, early 1940s or late 1940s called the Doomsday Clock. And they have estimated that this world is coming to an end very, very shortly. The clock started off many years ago at 24 hours, and now we're down to seconds. So irrespective, this world is not going to last. And the only hope we have is to turn to Jesus and we can have a better life and a better future and be assured that no matter what's happening around us, God has a plan for each and every one of us and loves each and every one of us. Jesus gave the promise, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, I'd like to invite everyone listening to seek a relationship with Jesus Christ, as we have discussed today, panel. Jesus Christ, the author of our peace. He is the only one who can settle your and my life and soul into divine rest, both here on earth and, of course, gladly for eternity in the life to come. And... Uh, I want to ask that we each consider our relationship with Jesus Christ and make the necessary changes by the leading of his Holy Spirit. I invite you to join me in prayer as we close the program today. My dear Father in heaven, what a wonderful opportunity you have given humanity to have peace in you here and now, but that you have a plan to give eternal peace and rest mm. yeah. in your glorious presence and in the um, place that you have prepared for us, will there be no sickness, pain, sorrow, crying nor dying, but just eternal happiness. 
What an opportunity. And we pray, Lord, that those listening to our voices today might also choose to follow and serve you and be given this wonderful blessing. I pray for your blessing and the outpouring of your spirit on our listeners today. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Will, for guiding us through this Bible study. Thank you, panel, for uh, participation uh, today. A wonderful um, topic uh, to have rest in Jesus. We are inviting you to come back with us when we are going to start a brand new uh, Bible study with different topics. And we are going to look in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And our, our next discussion will be the preamble in Deuteronomy. And we are going to learn some more history lessons. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk with Jesus, trusting in him.